The Graphic Histories Podcast. Welcome to the Graphic Histories Podcast. My name is Andre Myatt and I am your host. Big thanks to Ukul the Mock for our theme song, Superpowers. And thank you, gentle listener, for tuning in once again to my show. I hope you've been enjoying it so far. I know I say that a lot, but I really actually do, genuinely, in my heart of hearts, hope you are enjoying this program. I've had some nice words in person. Haven't received uh, emails or anything uh, lately, but I'd like to see some. If anybody has any suggestions, anything I'd like to see any merch ideas, all that fun stuff, please let me know because I'd be very interested. I, I spoke with someone from the East Coast Comic Expo and they said they were going to help promote this maybe a little bit. They'd see, but maybe in a future um, episode or, sorry, uh, event of, uh, of of theirs, I may be able to do one of these live, which would be a lot of fun. Uh, so, this week, uh, I celebrated a birthday. I celebrated a birthday. That's right, your boy, Andre Mayette is now 35. You know, and I didn't think it sounded that old. It didn't feel old. I've never ever had a problem with aging in the way that, you know, if you're not aging, then you're dead. So I always say I'll take aging over the alternative, which is absolutely true. But on Monday, I celebrated my 35th birthday, and it didn't seem to bother me too much until one of my friends said, hey, you're halfway to 70. And at that point, it sort of hit home a little bit, like in a weird way. I was like, oh, oh. You know, that sort of puts it into perspective in a way. I mean, I still got half, you know, I was hoping I'll live longer than 70. I'm hoping 90, you know, 80s, 90s. Uh, but still, so, you know, I'm not quite halfway there. But still, it, it feels like maybe I am. And that's, uh, ooh, that uh, that, that hit, a, hit a, struck a little nerve with me that I'm still recovering from. But uh, I am happy in life. I think things are going really well for me right now. I, I'm very happy with my job, very happy with this podcast. And the possibilities are still endless, but, you know, once you hit that 35, halfway to 70. So this past week, uh, DC Fandom came up online, which was sort of DC's answer to the canceling of San Diego Comic-Con and all that stuff. So they moved a lot of their stuff online, did some big reveals. Um, Some of the biggest stuff that came out of it was the trailer for Robert Pattinson's Batman movie, the one uh, being being completed by Matt Reeves, which actually looks really cool. I've seen some pushback online for people saying, you know, it's all dark, it's a dark and gritty Batman, and I want, you know, I, what happened to the, the fun Batman from kids movie? These movies aren't for kids anymore. And it's true, they're really not. I mean, you know, there are cartoons out there for the brave and the bold and, and those other ones that were certainly geared towards children. As far as a big-budget action Batman movie, I, I don't feel like those are geared... For kids per se anymore, but I mean, there I think there are alternatives and lots of options for kids-based comics. I mean, if you're looking for Batman, you got lots of animated movies and great stuff like that to follow. So, however, um, as a fan of Batman, you know, as much as the next person, maybe a little more, uh, I think Pattinson looks like a fun Batman. I think I'm a huge fan of the Riddler, so I think Paul Dano playing the Riddler looks cool. Uh, I'm not sure why 
this is one thing that kind of made me curious. I mean, I really enjoyed the trailer. I think the the use of the tone, the dark kind of aesthetic. I think Jeffrey Wright's going to be an awesome James Gordon. I thought it was pretty cool they used something in the way by Nirvana, which is I believe the movie's supposed to take place in the '90s, so. You know, they're sort of leaning hard into that with the soundtrack, which is pretty cool. That song's very ethereal and, and moody, and I feel like it kind of matches well with that trailer. Um, Colin Farrell as the Penguin is interesting. It looks like they, they got him in a fat suit. And, and based on the sort of few things you hear him talking, it doesn't sound like he's using an accent. So I always kind of wonder why, like, why is it necessary to have Colin Farrell? in a role where you're just going to put him in a fat suit and make him look like Richard Kind and give him an accent to make him sound like Richard Kind. Why don't you just hire Richard Kind? <laughs> That's, you know, I, I love Colin Farrell, but I just don't understand why, you know, hiding everything that makes him Colin Farrell sort of remove. And I know that's what acting is to an extent, but, like, I don't know, it just seems an odd placement for me. It's kind of like when they cast Guy Pierce in Prometheus and he just played like a super old man the entire time. I know there was some other stuff they filmed when he was younger that never got put into the movie, but it just seemed odd to have like a young guy in super old makeup in the movie and that's it. You never see him younger, you never see him any reason. It's just weird. But uh, but aside from that, it all looked really cool. The one thing I was super excited about was the sort of featurette they did on James Gunn's Suicide Squad, which looks fantastic. Uh, all the fun of Guardians of the Galaxy mixed with the original John Ostrander Suicide Squad run that sort of brought the, the group into with Task Force S into the spotlight. Just fantastic. It looks like so much fun. The actors that are in it, I mean, you got John Cena, Full of Borg, you got Margot Robbie back, um, uh, Idris Elba, King Sharks in there, just a, a who's who of really obscure, strange DC characters. And I feel like with what James Gunn did with the Guardians of the Galaxy by kind of plucking these characters from obscurity and throwing them into the mainstream, making them fun and cool, I feel like he's doing that with some of DC's lesser-known villains, and I'm super excited about it. It looks like a ton of fun, and I can't wait to see it. I think I'm. I think it may be my favorite DC movie ever, so we'll see where that goes. But really, really looking forward to that. All right, so in today's episode, we are discussing Mr. Mixoplick, or when I was a kid, I used to call him Mixies Pidlick, which I was <laughs> informed later was incorrect. But uh, this episode is on Mr. Mixoplick, who is a imp from the fifth dimension, as I'll describe in the episode, who's had a long-standing history in Superman comics, being a foil to Big Blue, the Man of Steel, uh, showing up and causing pranks and havoc and all kinds of uh, craziness in his world. Uh, he was giving a much more serious turn in Alan Moore's Whatever Happened to the Man Tomorrow story, which is stellar. And uh, I highly suggest it. It's sort of capped off Superman's Silver Age comics before it came into more of the modern age. And um, yeah, he's been portrayed in film by Howie Mandel, uh, voiced by Gilbert Gottfried on the Superman anime series from the 90s. Uh, played recently by Thomas Lennon, and another actor whose name escapes me on the Supergirl show. So uh, a character that's endured, uh, kind of tough to bring into a live-action thing in a in an interesting way that doesn't seem campy, but uh, there's been some interesting stuff in it. Mandel, I remember Mandel playing him on the Lois and Clark TV show, New Ventures of Superman, and uh, yeah, I remember it stood out to me as being interesting, but I was quite young at the time. So, But without much further ado, let's go into today's episode. Episode number 18, Mr. Mixoplick.
Mr. Mixoplick first appeared in what was known as the Golden Age of Comics, as an imp from the fifth dimension. Not being bound by our physical laws, his abilities appear magical to the untrained eye. In his first appearance, Mixoplick wreaks havoc across Metropolis by using his powers to pull a variety of pranks. First pretending to be hit by a truck and killed, then increasing his weight when the ambulance gets there, and waking up to shock them. What's more, he destroys Superman's confidence when he jumps out of a window, appearing to commit suicide. When he later appears unharmed, an astonished Superman exclaims, I... I thought I was the only man who could fly. He gives the mayor of Metropolis the voice of a donkey, then blows papers all over town. The source of Superman's growing headache would reveal that, in his home dimension, he was a jester of sorts, and therefore was using his powers to do what he enjoyed most, causing mischief. He also added he discovered our world when finding it detailed in an old book. Originally, Mixoplick had designs on conquering the planet for himself, but soon settles for tormenting Superman whenever he gets the opportunity. His only weaknesses are that he cannot stand being ridiculed, and if he says or spells his name backwards, kill Pidzee's eye, he is involuntarily sent back to his home dimension for a minimum of 90 days. He first gets fooled when Superman asks him what the word is, and he says Superman would have thought him stupid enough to say, kill Pidzee's eye, before realizing what has happened and being transported home. Mixoplick often looks for ways to counter the latter weakness, but he always proves gullible enough for Superman to trick him time and time again. In the Golden Age, saying, kill Pidzee's eye, will not only send Mixoplick back to the fifth dimension, but also anyone else who said their own name backwards. Later came the Silver Age of Comics, where Mixoplick appeared as a small bald man in a purple suit, green bow tie, and purple derby hat. This was changed to a futuristic-looking orange outfit, with purple trim and white hair on the sides of his head in the mid-1950s. Although the bowler hat remains adapted to the new color scheme, it was explained in the Silver Age Superman comics that Mr. Mixoplick could affect Superman because Superman is susceptible to magic, which was established as a major weakness for the superhero. When Mixoplick's jaunt causes a special appearance by Superman to be cancelled, and children who had done nothing to Mixoplick to be disappointed, Superman himself decides to turn the tables and visit the fifth dimension, making trouble for the imp who is running for mayor. For example, when Mixoplick furnishes a huge supply of food for prospective voters, he says, eat up folks, the food's on me. Superman uses super breath to blow the food all over the imp and then chortles to the voters, like he said folks, the food is on him. The imp tries to get the Man of Steel to say, name repus, Superman backwards, repeatedly, but when he finally succeeds, it does not work, and Superman remains in the fifth dimension. Mixoplick ultimately loses the election, and his mission accomplished, Superman banishes himself back to Earth by whispering, Lilac, his Kryptonian name, Kal-El, backwards. After the establishment of DC Comics' multiverse in the 1960s, it was later explained that the purple-suited Mixoplick lives in the fifth dimension connected to Earth 2, and the orange-costume Mixoplick in the fifth dimension connected to Earth 1. The Earth 1 version is also retconned into Superboy stories as the red-haired master Mixoplick, who bedevils Superboy during his youth in Smallville. He even appears as a deuce ex machina to stop the kryptonite kid who was killing a helpless Superboy so that he could continue to bedevil Superboy and later Superman. When DC began plans to end the various alternate Earths and combine them into one during the Christ of Infinite Earths, Alan Moore offered a radical, different interpretation of the character in the 1986 Superman, Whatever Happened to the Man of Tomorrow, a possible end of the adventures of the Earth-1 Superman. Mr. Mixoplick explains that the problem with immortality is finding ways to spend the time. He spends his first 2,000 years without moving or breathing, the next 2,000 years doing only good deeds, and the following 2,000 years being the mischievous character that he is normally portrayed as. 
He has now decided to try being evil, and is responsible for all of the nightmarish events in the story. Before attacking Superman, he reveals his true form, which is a monstrous and hard to perceive to the human eye being. He is also killed when Superman sends him to the Phantom Zone, at the same time that Mr. Mixelplick begins an escape to the fifth dimension, tearing him in two. Despite having recognized that his foe is too dangerous to be stopped any other way, remorse over the killing prompts Superman to drain himself of his powers using gold kryptonite, and adopt a normal life as a father and husband. The classic Mixelplick made it through the Crisis of Infinite Earths relatively unchanged, although the unpleasant nature of his pranks and the psychological effects that they have on others is deeply enhanced such as when he animated the Daily Planet, building heedless of the occupants inside who were being violently thrown around with its movements. He also began smoking cigars, symbolic of his newer, more antagonistic nature. His first appearance in this new continuity saw him initially adopting the guise of Ben DeRoy, an omnipotent mystery man, until resuming his more familiar appearance when he was confronted by Superman. One of Mixelplick's most prominent storylines in the new continuity was the Crisis of the Crimson Kryptonite storyline, when he provided Lex Luthor with a sample of red kryptonite that took away Superman's powers so long as Luthor never revealed to Superman that Mixelplick was involved. Despite Superman's lack of powers, he still risked his life to battle Mammoth and the mad scientist Thaddeus Kilgrave. Eventually, the spell was lifted when Luthor told Clark Kent where the red kryptonite had come from, believing that he would not be breaking Mixelplick's rule about not letting Superman know the truth if he told Kent and Kent told Superman. Many of Mixelplick's later stories have a fourth-wall-breaking feel to them, as he comments on editorial decisions, cliches of the genre, etc. This was most obvious in Superman the Man of Steel number 75, a pastiche of Superman's death in Superman Volume 2 number 75, where Mixelplick creates a duplicate of Doomsday. The confrontation culminates with Mixelplick meeting the Supreme Being, who turns out to be Mike Carlin, the then-editor of the Superman titles, who promptly brings him back to life. In Young Justice number 3, Peter David showed Mixelplick's origins as a serious-minded researcher who travels through time, summoned by computer-based occultists. He takes the opportunity to conduct some scholarly studies. He chooses to examine a Halloween party in Happy Harbor, focusing on the results of aging a portion of the teens and causing some of the others to frantically dance out of control. When Mixelplick does not know what was Robin, Superboy, and Impulse, were hired by the town's adults to chaperone the party. When the boys confront Mixelplick, they realize that this was not the same Mixelplick who Superman had regularly faced. Indeed, he appears to not have even assumed the name Mixelplick at this point, regarding it as sounding like something somebody randomly typed. Upon discovering the chaotic future that awaits him, Mixelplick declares that he would dedicate his life to learning and knowledge. However, those words led to a shift in time, creating an apocalyptic world where everywhere but outside the building where the Halloween party is being held. This is because Mixelplick was not left to annoy Superman. In order to avoid this, Robin, Superboy, and Impulse realize that they need to instill Mixelplick with his trademark wacky sense of humor. A Three Stooges film is uncovered and watched via an old projector. Mixelplick is entertained by the comedy in the movies. He tries out a Stooge-style poke in the eye of the projectionist, finding the slapstick humor to his liking. He promises that when it is time, he will hassle Superman as he is supposed to, in honor of Superboy, Impulse, Robin, and even the injured projectionist, Mick Girk. Timers are stored to as how it should be, mostly. Outside the Civic Center is an unexpected Mixelplick theme park, the only change to the world. However, it appears that Mixelplick has forgotten this incident as the years have passed. When confronted by Superboy later on, the Imp declares that he has no knowledge of this adventure with Young Justice. Whether or not this is true, or Mixelplick merely playing a trick on the Boy of Steel, is never revealed. In Emperor Joker, a multi-part story throughout the Superman titles, Mixelplick has his powers temporarily stolen by the Joker, who then remakes the Earth. 
The imp is unable to remember what to do to break the chain of events that daily culminates with Superman being dragged back to Arkham Asylum by Bizarro. Fortunately, Mixelplick is able to reveal the truth to Superman, who manages to find the power to break the cycle and defeat the Joker. As the Joker prepares to end existence, Superman realizes that for all his power, the Joker still cannot erase Batman, as the Joker defines himself by his constant opposition to the Dark Knight. Allowing Superman to shatter the Joker's control of reality, however, Mixelplick saves some of the Joker's creations and transfers them into the real world, including Scorch, Gorgeous Gilly, the new Bizarro, and Ignition, a black-armored villain who first appeared in the Emperor Joker storyline. It has been implied that Mixelplick sees himself as serving an important purpose and teaching Superman not to take himself too seriously. In Adventures of Superman number 617, Mixelplick is reinvented as fraternal twins with intense hatred for Superman. A year later, the imp returns to his usual self following a fellow imp in the fifth dimension, combining the twins with the classic Mixelplick, resulting in his normal form and personality. Mixelplick formed a significant part of Greg Rucka's ruined storyline in The Adventures of Superman. His appearance here is similar to his Golden Age look, with the addition of a single lock of hair, resembling Superman's S-shaped forelock. This version of Mixelplick is less abrasive than he had been previously, and is portrayed as basically on Superman's side. The metafictional aspects of the character were also played up as he visits the DC Comics office in the real world. At the same time, Mixelplick appeared in Superman Batman number 23. During this time, his appearance is similar to the more typical modern version of the character. He is trying to prepare Batman and Superman for the upcoming Infinite Crisis. The incident features alternate universe versions of Superman, Batman, and Deathstroke, and implies much chaos that has was shown, such as the planet Mogo visiting Earth to reclaim an old landmass. At the end of the storyline, Mixelplick indicates he has erased the knowledge of Superman's identity from Lex Luthor's mind. After the fallout of the events of the Day of Vengeance, the removal of magic from the Earth leaves Mixelplick nearly powerless, wandering the streets of Metropolis and unable to remember how to pronounce the inverse of his name to return home. Superman attempts to help him, but the two are attacked by the villain Ruin. Ruin attempts to assassinate Superman with kryptonite-based weaponry, but Mixelplick pushes Superman out of the way, taking a kryptonite spear to the heart and vanishing. Right before he vanished, though, he seemed to whisper his own name backwards. Surviving the encounter, our subject pops up once again alive and well in a restored fifth dimension, going for a walk with his girlfriend and his pet goldfish, who he named Superman. He is then abducted by Superman Prime, an evil alternate dimension version of the Man of Steel. Primus tortures the imp into helping him bring back his perfect Earth, formerly known as Earth Prime. Mixelplick mentions that he has been coming to Earth for centuries, and has been referred to be by many names, Loki, Coyote, and Anansi, to be a few. He's later sent back to his home by Anatats Arats, the Earth-3 counterpart of Zatanna, whom Prime had also captured. Arriving in the fifth dimension, he proclaims to Gespelnes that he has escaped an encounter with the Beast, implying that the fifth dimension is aware of Superboy Prime, who is referred to as a being of pure evil. Knowing that Superboy Prime will kill every living soul in the fifth dimension in order to get revenge on him, Mixelplick proclaims that their dimension must be sealed off from outsiders immediately, and that he can never return to Earth. In September 2011, the New 52 rebooted DC's continuity. In this new timeline, Mixelplick's history is revealed as a time-traveling wizard in the fifth dimension, who entertained the King Thing Bricks of Zerf. He did so by making 333 different three-dimensional worlds, and by challenging heroes in each world with everyone being entertained by the one hero who could win the challenges, Superman. This led to Mixelplick becoming the king's favorite entertainer and winning the love of the king's daughter, Gespelnes. However, it also caused jealousy in the now-disposed original court favorite entertainer, Vil 
Oof, this is gonna be a tough one. <laughs> Vindicadvix. Vindicadvix eventually went mad and tried to kill Mixelplik, only to kill the king instead. After an event between worlds, Vixelkliz was arrested and imprisoned for the murder. Mixelplik became king and lived happily with his wife and beautiful princess, now queen, only to grieve as she died giving birth to the children. And so he became the sad king that one day the jester Mixelplik would come to entertain, and who would be slain by Vildokevs in an eternal and apparently natural for fifth-dimensional beings. Cycle. After the new 52, Superman died, and the pre-52 Superman took his place. By the time of the DC Rebirth reboot, a mysterious Clark Kent appeared, claiming to be the real one. Despite everyone's hesitation and the previous event that outed Clark as Superman, the new Clark had the medical records to match, and when Superman questioned Clark with a telepathic probe, Clark presented a clear history of Clark Kent as a human being. He was orphaned at three months old and subsequently adopted by the Kents. Pre-52 Lois investigates the new Clark more after getting her job back at the Daily Planet. Clark asks Lois out on a date, which she accepts, but on the date, Lois finds that Clark rented the whole place out for the night and proposed to her, scaring her out of the date. He follows Lois to her secret home and finds out about her marriage to Superman and their son, Jonathan. The next day, after spotting Clark, Superman and Lois' house with their son, Jonathan, inside suddenly disappears. They track Clark down to his apartment, where he reveals himself to be Mr. Mixelplik, who was absent from the New 52 universe because he was held captive by Mr. Oz and used his powers to transform and brainwash himself into believing he was Clark Kent to avoid getting recaptured after escaping. His attacks on Superman are revenge for failing to notice he had been missing, and he proceeds to make Lois forget about her own son. As even Lois forgets that Clark and Superman were the same person, Superman agrees to play Mr. Mixelplik's game to try and win back the right to see his son again. But although Mr. Mixelplik attempts to change the rules and ensure his victory, Jonathan is able to fight through his prison with the aid of an unspecified spirit that are revealed to be the new 52 versions of Superman and Lois, culminating in the creation of a new timeline where the essence of the post-Flashpoint Lois and Clark are fused with their pre-Flashpoint selves, so the history of both worlds can coexist. So there you have it, another complicated DC Comics history involving reboots and timelines and re-timelines and reboots and all that fun stuff. But also, the history of Mixelplik in there as well. Fun character, very impish, always a hoot to see. I loved his, the way he was kind of displayed in the Superman animated series with Gilbert Gottfried's voice. Really fun sort of foil to Superman. I've always think Superman should be a bright, hopeful character. And having characters like Mixelplik as villains can kind of bring us back to some of that fun, I don't want to say campiness, but, you know, the the fun zaniness of some of those old Superman comics, but also keep it sort of fresh into the new world, so I really, really enjoyed it. So, uh, next week will be another one of our featured interview episodes. I believe this time I will be talking with Peter Breau, B-R-E-A-U. I'm not sure if I pronounced that correctly. I will ask him when I speak with him. However, he is a, a freelance comic uh, writer, television script writer as well, author, uh, he's, he lives in St. John's, I believe, New Brunswick, and he's definitely connected through the nerd community with myself and several other writers in the area. So I'm excited to talk to him. I've seen some of his books. It looks like a lot of fun, and I, he's one of those people, a few of my guests in the past I've met before and had discussions with. I haven't really talked to Peter before, so this will be a whole new ground for me, and it should be really interesting to learn about his story, where he came from, where he's going, and all that. But that's enough for me. Thank you very much for tuning in to the Graphic Histories Podcast. It's been a real pleasure once again, and I look forward to seeing you next week.